0: Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we can promise you is that our conversation will be less than fascinating, so you can feel free to just drift off. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano.
1: And I'm your co-host, Nidhi Khanna.
0: Nidhi, I um, noticed something very interesting, a response from one of our listeners who actually listens to our show as they're getting ready for work in the morning.
1: Oh, now that's interesting.
0: Whilst our show was designed for people to hopefully sort of drift off to sleep, she finds it very pleasant to wake up to and eases her into the morning, which
1: is... That's a little different. I would have never thought about the reverse effect that it would have on people, but I'm glad to know that um, this listener, what's her name, Marco? Carrie.
0: Carrie. And she also mentions that the Dewey Decimal System, which we mentioned in a previous episode, is in fact still used in libraries and that it was the Library of Congress's classification system.
1: Well, Carrie, thank you for um, your feedback and for listening to us in the morning as you're getting your day started. Yeah, we
0: want to welcome all listeners from Halifax and any listener that listens to our podcast in a different or unusual manner. Please let us know at Listen and Sleep because we were surprised by this and it was quite a pleasant surprise. I found a pine cone in my sofa.
1: In your sofa?
0: In my sofa, and it must have been on a candle or something. It was like a decorative pine cone or in a potpourri type...
1: Craft pine cone.
0: Yeah, and you know when you're, you're... sort of taking the pillows away and you're cleaning you find odd things usually change, maybe a hairpin I found a pine cone and I thought to myself what an interesting item, made by a tree but used in so many different ways
1: Do you know much about pine cones, Marco? Because I have some interesting facts that I never knew about pine
0: cones All I can tell you about pine cones that I know is that They come in different shapes and sizes. Correct. And I believe the redwood tree has the biggest pine cone. And I've seen really, really big pine cones um, used decoratively. That's all I can tell you.
1: That, I did not know that. Um, The couple of fun facts that I have about pine cones. Tell us. Um, So did you know that it's actually an organ on plants? Sorry? Uh, That was my reaction, so now I'm quoting Wikipedia, so this could be controversial for our listeners. I don't know if Wikipedia is the best source, but I'm going to read it anyway. So, a cone is an organ on plants in the division pinophyta that contains the reproductive structures. So the familiar woody cone is the female cone, which produces seeds. And the male cones, which produce pollen, are usually herbaceous and much less conspicuous, even at full maturity.
0: I didn't know that, but I know that if you take a pine cone and sort of lift up the prongs or the the parts that jet out, the little wooden spiky, spiky things, yeah. underneath you'll often find seeds. And I believe that, you know, pine nuts are the seeds that are found in... A certain type of pine cone, I it's guess. Is that true? I believe so. I believe so. And I, I love food that has pine pine nuts in it. Pesto, of course, yes. being perhaps the most famous of foods that incorporate pine nuts. Pine nuts or yeah. pignoli, as they're often known in the culinary world.
1: <clears throat> now, that would make sense, I guess, as to why squirrels, for example, gravitate towards pine cones, don't they?
0: For the seeds.
1: For the seeds. Yeah.
0: And they'll take them, and you'll see them scurrying off with a pine cone. Mm-hmm. But,
1: Some dogs also are very obsessed with pine cones.
0: Oh, sure, they're the perfect shape for a dog. I know that pine cones are a great way to start fire. So, if you're making, let's say, a campfire, sure, or if you have a fire burning stove and you need to light paper and the larger pieces of wood, you can start off by gathering a multitude of pine cones that are dry of course you don't want to ever ignite wet wood and pine pine cones are woody and you start off by lighting pine cones and it'll help ignite your fire
1: is that true so that so you would ignite the pine cone itself
0: right because because they're woody and they're very um they're not thick and big and bulky. Mm-hmm. They tend to light quickly.
1: Well, that makes sense.
0: So they're a great fire starter uh, for your campfires and whatnot. So that's a little tip as well. Um, I mean, they're often used in decorations, both for seasonal items or in smaller ones in potpourri. And, I uh, do
1: enjoy the smell of potpourri with pine cones oh, in it. Do you? There's something about that aroma sure. It's very um, comforting and <laughs> relaxing and um, warm. There's a very warm scent that comes from that type of potpourri.
0: I know a lot of teas and medicinal um,
1: herbs or
0: medicinal um, syrups and stuff uh, yes. often use pine needles in it. Uh-huh. So I know that if you've ever had, um, you know, that uh, product called Buckley's. for when you have like a sore throat or congestion and whatnot, it has a very strong pine flavor to it and I believe they Mm. use pine oil and perhaps pine needles in it and um, so it's an interesting ingredient that people use not to mention um, or not to forget a lot of furniture is made with pine and you can spot pine as one of the wood furnitures because of it's lightness in color and it's lightness of weight so if you lift up a pine chair versus let's say an oak chair the pine chair is so So much much lighter lighter.
1: that makes sense that makes a lot of sense marco speaking of furniture Mm -hmm. do you have a particular furniture style that appeals to you are you more modernist or traditional wood as you said Mm -hmm. pine or oak or Um, that type of furniture appeals to you? Do you like it to be handcrafted or um, Would you rather have something that is you know one of the kind and very unique?
0: Oh, that's such a Such a tough one because I like all different styles I know that I have a Eames reproduction chair and ottoman and um, We'll attach a photo of what that looks like to one of our tweets for our listeners. Um, and it's a really stylized chair. Once you see what it looks like, you'll be like, oh, yes, I've seen this in magazines or whatnot. And I found that at a, a secondhand store. And I got it for next to nothing, like $40. And it turns out they're worth quite a bit of money. But it's such a comfortable chair. And it's not all wooden, but it has that sort of... Um, sculpted or bent sort of wood shape to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I love that particular chair as well. I love antique furniture pieces, especially like if you look at a table that has, and some, some chairs have it too, like, um, claw feet.
1: Claw feet?
0: Yeah, you can tell certain antique furnitures because they'll have like a, bear claw carved in the bottom of the foot or sure. like an eagle talon.
1: Sure. And
0: uh, There's some I've seen. I think my mother-in-law has a piece that is an eagle's talon mm-hmm. that is holding a crystal ball. Like it has like a crystal or a glass ball the actual wood is holding mm. or perhaps it's just um, a wooden ball. I can't remember correctly at this moment but um, it's usually when you notice that it denotes that the piece of furniture is older or antique of course there's a bunch of reproductions that mimic this style too but you can really spot it when you see an antique piece and you notice the clawed foot whether it be some sort of animal claw or some sort of bird's talon
1: yes and i'm looking right here marco (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, at an image and i believe that sometimes those are referred to as queen anne um
0: Style, style, sure. or
1: Chippendale style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I I prefer more rustic, antique type. Oh. Well, actually, more maybe more rustic type more rustic. furniture. Um, I'm not a big modernist. Sure, I don't or a minimalist. Mm-hmm. Although I do like my furniture to be functional, um, but I do enjoy kind of. Evoking a sense of feeling like you're at a, in at your cabin. Okay. That Norwegian-Danish kind of sure. clean lines, but not too modern. That's
0: right. What about things made with driftwood? So this would be wood that sort of the sea has taken and carried it out and drifted it around for weeks, months, years, washes on shore, and some artisan then takes that piece of wood and forms it into, whether it be a table or a, a lot of times you'll see driftwood that is hanging like a, what do you call those things that sort of hang in the wind, like a wind chime or like a chime of some sort, Um, or they incorporate it into chairs and tables and whatnot to make it look very nautical.
1: I think that's beautiful and unique. That's what I like about it. But it's funny because I say unique, and yet I could also go very much for some Ikea, functional Ikea furniture.
0: So much of which is pine. Ah. That's a sound like glass, hitting another glass as we enjoy our tea here today on the Insomnia Project. Another thing that I love, I love the warmth of wood. So even like yes. hardwood floors, I know they're so expensive, but there's something just so beautiful about seeing it. great hardwood floors or even putting your bare feet on a natural fiber, natural material like wood.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I prefer wooden floors to carpeted ones, even sure. though carpeted ones have their benefits. Of course. Particularly if it's cold. Yes. However, um, I agree with you. There's something also about the creakiness of wooden floors sure. that just evokes, um, in my memory, very pleasant, um, uh, moments because the house that I grew up in was a, uh, I guess 18, it was an 18th century, uh, not wow. 18th century, sorry. It was, uh, built, built in the 1800s. Oh wow. So 19th century, turn of the century home. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was quite nice and, uh, um, large ceilings, but Beautiful. very much wood paneling and wood banisters and, um, that old feeling that traditional, um, Turn of the century home so warm, Feeling warm, and fireplaces in every room. Characteristic, yeah, charming, exactly.
0: I uh, had a friend, or I have a friend. His name is Jeff, who was replacing his hardwood floors. So in his home, he had uh, these beautiful hardwood floors, and one area got a little spotted from some water that had leaked. So he was having them replaced through his insurance company. And I said to him, would you mind if I took this hardwood floor? And he's like, I don't see why not. Let me just call the insurance company to make sure it's copacetic with them. And they said, you're doing us a favor by removing them. And oh, so great. I had a couple of cousins go to Jeff's house. And with special crowbars, we carefully removed this hardwood floor. And then we put it in a van and drove it an hour and a half north to my cottage and we put this hardwood floor so we recycled basically this beautiful material that was going to get tossed out put it in our cottage and like you said it adds a warmth um, a charm Mm -hmm. a feel of family and friendliness and nature in your home that I don't think carpet or ceramic does as well.
1: I agree with you, Marco. That's a great story and mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear that you were able to recycle Jeff's hardwood floor because that would be a shame otherwise to just have thrown that hardwood floor out.
0: And it's very expensive. The more you know that these natural resources, um, you know, get utilized and used and what there's an expense of course involved and you know it takes a while for them to be replenished it takes a while for a tree to grow and whatnot and uh, it's just nice to know that you're recycling a bit of mother nature and something that's taken a while to develop and grow and you use it in your home in a way that you really appreciate and we certainly do appreciate the forest and it has the benefit of being easy to clean so that if you come back from the beach and your feet are a bit sandy unlike a carpet that would absorb the Uh, grains of sand you can sweep or vacuum the hardwood floor in the cottage much easier as you would be able to do in the home.
1: How do you feel Marco about dark floors like dark hardwood so I have a dog for example and my dog sheds and so I had an apartment once where I had dark flooring, and I found it very cumbersome because I would have to sweep or mop pretty much every day. Oh, because, I didn't
0: know that. I didn't know. Because you
1: could see the, um,
0: the, the or hair the, oh. or
1: the dust would be very evident if you saw any dust on it. So I prefer lighter wood on my flooring. However... I do find the darker hardwood to be quite beautiful.
0: You know, it's interesting because this is quite a debate when people are selecting flooring. What color to go with? I love the natural look of the wood. So if it's a cherry wood, I love that there's a bit of red in it. If there's an oak, I like that it's darker. or a walnut. It's that sort of dark walnut color. I don't know if I have a preference, to be honest with you, because I have hardwood floors in my home uh, that are let's say honey color that I'd love to s- strip or sand down and and give it another life Sting. with a different color Yeah, mm. but it's interesting because you mentioned creaking and these hardwood floors as you go towards the stairs right at the foot of the stairs I guess that's an area that receives a lot of impact that's where you'll find a little bit of creaking in my hardwood floors and there is a bit of a charm to it there is a bit of a Nod to the flexibility of a natural substance like wood.
1: It's very true. It's very true.
0: Now, I wanted to talk to you about traffic signs, uh, especially traffic signs that you find in other countries or on other places that are different than, say, the traffic lights that are green, yellow, and red Mm -hmm. that we have here in North America or, you know, symbols and signs that we see on traffic signs that are very identifiable for us.
1: Marco, that's an interesting topic of conversation because I recently came back from a trip in the UK, um, visiting some friends in London, and their traffic signals... Of course, there's the red, green, and yellow. Sure. And they have similar-looking traffic structures. However, they use yellow twice. So they use yellow before the traffic is about to turn green. Oh, okay. Um, We use the yellow before, before traffic is about to stop as a signal to tell you to slow, time, down, slow down, yield. So they use it to tell you that it's time to change your gear because oh. there's so many standard of vehicles um, that the traffic's about to go again. Yeah, and
0: The manual transmission. The
1: manual transmission. And uh, because there's so many roundabouts and things like that, I guess they use it to make sure that the flow of traffic is ready to start up again at least that was my assumption
0: that's, that's fascinating I know when we were in England last year there were so many roundabouts and you just get on these roundabouts and some of them are like part of a highway and they're really quick and have many lanes to it and for someone who's not as used to a roundabout it can get a little bit tricky but that said it does allow for movement in the traffic I know that I'm always fascinated when I leave my province of Ontario and head into Quebec and see how their traffic lights whilst they still have the green yellow and red they have different shapes to them and they have sort of um, a different place where you stop in front of the those traffic lights, so I feel like in Quebec you tend to stop closer to the light, whereas in uh, Ontario you tend to stop further back from the lights, and I know that in Montreal, a lot of the lights are more more modern
1: okay uh, yeah in look it's funny, Marco, because as you know, I'm from Montreal originally, um, however, I never really noticed the traffic lights of course. But- Next time I go back to visit family and friends, I'm definitely going to take a look at that. And also, I agree, the the traffic in Montreal does tend to stop closer to the light. Um, I also found it very interesting when I first moved here to Toronto because um, in Quebec, I find there's less likely if someone's stopping at a yellow, it's sort of, uh, there's less of that we need to slow down now. I see. I think there's also, what I noticed in Quebec, sometimes people will block the intersection, whereas over here, people get very irate by that.
0: Sure, sure. It's interesting, um, you know, even the lines on the road are different from place to place that you go. That's true. And, uh, I love I love things that are unique to certain places. So for example, obviously in Canada we have icy and snowy conditions, so you'll often see signs that have
1: slippery slippery or, watch like, out. or
0: little snowflakes on yes. the wires. Whereas when you go to Florida uh, or somewhere warm, you don't see those no. and so you see other things that are kind of unique and neat and uh, one thing I l- If I was to pick a traffic signal or sign that I appreciate the most, it would be the green left turn arrow
1: Ah, yes.
0: that is often found um, in trickier sort of intersections. But I find that particular traffic signal sign to be A, my favorite, and B, the most useful in allowing... For traffic to flow and I wish we had more of those as well as the roundabout that you mentioned earlier
1: I find it interesting Marco because we're very organized for lack of a better word mm-hmm. with regards to our travels traffic signals here in Canada and I guess in North America in, in general um, if you don't obey the traffic signs yes. you get ticketed. Sure. However there are parts of the world for example when I go to India mm-hmm. to visit family or if you've been to Southeast Asia for example where the traffic signals are more of a guideline rather than a strict set of rules I see. and so it's interesting because you take a different approach to maneuvering mm-hmm. in traffic. So I remember once when I was visiting India, and we went to Delhi, which has quite a bit of traffic. I had asked the person I was driving with, "How do you?" Who had actually that person had actually lived in Canada for many uh, many years, and so I asked her, "How do you adjust your driving style to Rain. the Indian?" Environment which
0: is so different,
1: completely different. And she said something interesting. She said, Over here in India, you have to take your car and make it about protecting your car at all costs. So, you have to be a very defensive driver, right? Um, so you can't be nice and let people in, you have to put your car first. To ensure that you get where you need to go because of how much traffic there is. Whereas, here in North America, there is an expectation that you obey the traffic rules first. Right. In order to get where you need to go.
0: I know when I'm driving in Rome, I put on myself to drive Mm -hmm. like a Roman I always think myself you're in Rome you need to drive like a Roman and so I tend to be a little bit speedier but a little bit more diligent a little bit more aware Mm -hmm. and uh, it works for me we certainly hope that this episode has worked for you and we invite you to follow us and subscribe to the insomnia project
1: as always we're broadcasting from Toronto and insomnia project is produced by drumcast productions we want to thank you for being a part of our show and listening and we will see you next time